In this episode of the Talent Cast, we get down and dirty. Well, not that down and dirty. Calm down. Hey, it's Sunday morning. Um, talk about what uh, even companies that aren't Google and Facebook and Microsoft and all those companies, you know, your companies, how they can actually win the employer brand game. Yeah, we're going to get right down to it. We'll be right back. Hello, and welcome to the Talent Cast. I'm your host, James Ellis. We're here to talk about employer branding and talent acquisition, talent recruitment marketing at some fairly deep levels. We're not here to pitch books. We're not here to pitch software. This is a 100% pitch-free zone. We're here to go back to first principles and really think through what it's going to take for you to be better at employer brand and talent acquisition, for you to win the war for talent. Yes, that's a bad metaphor. Yes, people shouldn't say it. Yes, it's also my Twitter handle, so I can't help you. This will not be your standard podcast. This will be a little goofy, a little weird, a little bit of me. Hopefully, you're going to learn something from it. If you like it, please tell people. Uh, if you like it a lot, review us on iTunes and Google Play. Otherwise, you can hear, learn more about us or talk to us directly on Twitter, again, at the War for Talent, or just go to our website, thetalentcast.com. So that having been said, here's the show. Hey, James Ellis here. Thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, usual housekeeping. So this webinar series I'm doing, uh, the six series webinar series, we've done three. We're about to do the next three. I think it's interesting, um, serendipitously, and there's a fun word, uh, the first three were from agency people, people who've seen a lot of different companies and a lot of different uh, perspectives and have come to come to their own philosophies and come to their own um, broad perspectives. The next three are in-house people, in-house employer brands and what they've learned. We're going to go deep, deep, deep dives into some specifics about what, you know, within limits because they're not allowed to talk about everything. But it's definitely taking a shift, definitely taking a turn. I am super pumped to talk to these people. I'll put the link in the show notes. Also, I'm doing a webinar, I'm sorry, an e e employer branding 201, for lack of a better term. So we did a 101 class two weeks ago. We're doing the 201 two weeks, so it's going to be a lot of fun. There were complaints that people thought it was 2101, to which I said, really? Um, but I think we established what employer brand is, and I think that was a lot of fun, and I can't wait to talk about how one communicates an employer brand. So uh, again, also show notes, so tune into that. Uh, yes. So, uh, let's talk about what Glassdoor gets wrong. And I started this podcast and I, you know, when I, when I have this process to, cause you don't care, my process is to come up with some, an idea, a nugget, a kernel, a thought, a pearl, a gem, whatever you want to call it, whatever your particular metaphor might be of what do I want to express? And sometimes it takes me 15, 20, 30 minutes to get around to explaining how I thought of that or why it matters or what's going on. And, and, and I think it, helps to start by saying there's a thought I had reading um uh oh gosh what's a how to hold on I'm, I'm blanking on the book um anyway I'll put it in the show notes it's it's pretty much um how to not give a fuck right it's 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 all over the the business book charts it's a pretty good book uh and I wanted to start off with this idea that how can you be a loser company and when I say loser company I mean you're not Google you're not Amazon you're not Facebook you're not uh Microsoft you're not sitting on a 4.3 uh Glassdoor rating and I wanted to start by talking about this idea that you know what about employer brand for the rest of us when we don't have something so amazingly special how do, can you still win and it's this idea that you know if if 
it's basketball season, I guess. So if you're not LeBron James and you're not Steph Curry, can you still make an impact if you're not one of the gods on high greatest companies in the world? If you're not one of the you know GAFAs, the Google, Amazon, Facebook, Apple type companies, and throw in Microsoft because their Glassdoor rating is insane as well. Um, there are plenty of companies that have four plus reviews, and that's fantastic. But that's you're talking about the one percent of the one percent. You're talking about the tip of the mountain, and chances are. You are not there. I know I'm not there. So chances are you're not there. And that's the assumption I'm making here. And what, as I thought about this idea of how can you still be a quote-unquote loser company, uh, not because you're not profitable, but not because you're not successful, because you're not one of these great companies with a four-point whatever rating, how can you still win the talent game when you're not one of those best? And the truth is, you really can. You really, really can. So let me put that you know glimmer of hope in your in your mind to start this off. That even if you've got a Glassdoor rating of three point nothing, which sounds horrible. That's way below average. I mean, that's really not good. Um, you can still win. And I and I and as I thought about this, I thought about what is the difference between a company with a four point four and a three point oh? Really, is it a mountain load of perks? Is it um, four years of parental leave for both uh, the father and the mother. Is it, um, is it, is it, bo- is it salaries that boggle the imagination? Is it uh, stock that you have to carry around in a wheelbarrow because you have so much of it? And there's so much options. There's so much money. Is that what it is? Is it really? If that's what it is, then I guess this is a really short. This is this podcast taking a long time to figure this out. That we should stop and just quit because. None of us can offer those things. It's just impossible. Even if we can offer some of that thing, and I certainly include, you know, encourage everybody to offer ownership in the form of stocks or options or what have you, or profit sharing to your employees. I think there's plenty of data that shows that that's a good thing. And frankly, as a country in the U.S. here, we don't do a great job with maternity and paternity leave, but that's really not the conversation I wanted to have. I'm saying if you can't offer your employees the world's you know, 17 different kinds of milk for their coffee and back rubs while they work, you can still win. You can still be good at this. You can still be in a model where you're hiring talented people, right? So we talk about roughly 20 million companies in the U.S., North America-ish. So it's 20 million. It's a good round number, right? And, okay, let's just go do America just because I know the numbers off the top of my head. You're talking about 300 million Americans. However, many of them are retired. Many of them are children. Many of them don't want to work. You've got a handful of people who have won lotteries or uh, have inherited stacks of money, therefore don't need jobs. So you're really talking about anywhere from 150 to 100 million people who need jobs. Who need good jobs? Who need jobs in which they help support their families and put their kids into school and put food on the table and put a little, you know, for later down the road when you never know and maybe one day, fingers crossed, they could retire and, you know, rent an RV and drive around. I don't know. That's not my dream, but it's somebody's dream, right? That's that's hard because that means there's 100 million Americans looking at 20 million companies. And if, if aside from the companies we've already named, the Google, Amazon, Facebook, you know, let's call them 20 companies that are amazing. You know, that's the 1%. Most of us don't work there. Most of us will never work there. I will never work at one of those companies. I can almost guarantee it. Um, it's not that I don't want to. It's simply a matter of 
I'm not in that space. At, if you're if you're Google and Facebook and Amazon, do you need someone who thinks about how to take a bad employer brand and make it better? No, I think they've got that problem solved. <laughs> it's it's not a need they have. They are not knocking on my door to say, "Hey, James, we have this problem," because they don't have this problem. They have other problems, not this one. Um, how do you you know you've got all these people looking for jobs and they're not going to work at these companies? So where do they work? Not all of them are untalented. Even if you take a simple bell curve, most of them have some value. In fact, a great deal of, a, let's call it 100 million, just to keep the numbers around. Let's cut, cut a line down the middle. There's 50 million people who have talent, who are at median or above. Even if you take a standard distribution and you say, I only want the top 10% of people, you're still talking about a million people, uh, 10 million people. 10 million people, and these are the best of the best. These are the super highly talented people. There's, they're not going to those four, five, six, or ten companies, or twenty, you know, twenty companies at the very top. There are other places. There are amazingly talented people in nonprofits. There are amazingly talented people in small local businesses. There are amazingly talented people everywhere you look, if you look. And in fact, I'd say that, that we could have a conversation about how the distribution of talent thing is is a BS number because if I'm talented, and that's a big if, an employer brand, am I also talent in development? No. So if you need to find someone who's talented in, 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 in coding and developing, they're going to be on a curve, and I'm going to be on a curve. We can, but it's possible we're all on the front side of that curve or the, the back side of the curve where the talent is. It's just that we're picking and choosing where we have talent. I have, you do not want to have me involved in customer service. I will be atrocious at that, but there are people who are amazing at customer service. So it's wrong to kind of look at it in terms of an aggregate number. And the more I thought of it, the more the aggregate number thing made me kind of concerned because it did go back to Glassdoor, right? When we think about employer brand, our initial metric is usually what's our Glassdoor rating. And I'm completely okay with that. I think I've talked about that before where I say, look, treat your Glassdoor number like the dashboard light in a car that says check engine or you know, whether it's turned on or off. It's a good indication that things are working or things aren't working. But as I think about it, the more I think that there's more to it than that. That's a good simple metric if you're selling Glassdoor, and not that I was, but um, there's a thing that Glassdoor gets wrong. Okay, so let's think about the difference between a 3.0 company and a 4.3 company or 4.4 company. A 4.3 or 4.4 company means most of their reviews are five stars. That means they get very, 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 very few one and two star reviews, which means who gives zero and, or one and two star reviews? People who have been fired, people who quit, people who didn't fit. With what Glassdoor might actually be measuring is not how good the culture is or how good the company is, but simply how good they are at creating a fit before the fact. Meaning, they're going to hire people, whether they mean to or not, these companies, these Googles and Amazons or whatever, and anybody with a, with a four plus review, these, they're very, very, very good at identifying people who want to work there, who want to get with whatever that mission is, who want to get with whatever the company's offering. Maybe they're just in it for the perks, and if they get the perks, they're, they're thrilled. They give you a five-star review. If they're all about the mission and they love the mission, they give the five-star review. They're good at weeding out the people who don't fit. So if it's a company that's all about perks, and I come along and I'm like, no, I'm not about perks, I'm about a mission. Not me personally, maybe, you know, you know, you know what I'm saying. I'm not going to fit. They're not going to bring me in. The Glassdoor review is not a function of how good the culture is. It's a function of how good the recruiters and hiring managers are at predicting good fit and selecting for good fit.
and fit is a conversation we could have separately because it's a big conversation. Whereas if you go down to the, com the companies with a three, i.e. way below average, like on the face of it, that looks like a disaster. Glassdoor is licking its lips going, oh, good. We're going to sell them some stuff. And I don't begrudge anybody making money. I have no problems with that. But they're just going to look and say, we're going to bang this drum of you have to increase your Glassdoor number. We have to increase your Glassdoor rating. You have to do it. Three is so bad. Bad things are happening because you've got a three. Everybody's looking at you and running from the hills. Because, again, Glassdoor is trying to tell you, right or wrong, I'm not sure, but I think there's some debate, that the 3.0 means that you've got a pretty mediocre company. And I don't think that's the case. I know of many companies. I know of companies below 3, which, you know, is disaster zone area, right? If you have a 2.7, um, you should be running around. Your, you know, Glassdoor will tell you or your boss will tell you. You should be running around uh, with your pants on fire because something bad is happening. you got to go fix that. I think those companies still, even if they don't have a median average rating, they're still good companies. The problem is, is they may be hiring a little more willy-nilly, maybe on purpose, maybe not. Maybe they're just, they're not focusing on fit. They're just bringing people in. People who they can't anticipate seeing, oh, this person isn't going to get it. They don't get what we're all about, whether it's mission or perks or motivations or whatever it is, right? If you hire random people who are quote-unquote talented and some of them quit or some of them are fired because they don't match the profile, regardless of, you know, you're supposed to fire talent even if it's talented if it doesn't work, right? If you've got a great talented person who's disrupting the whole company because they don't, they're not a good team player and you're all about team, that's not, you know, talent be damned, that's a bad fit. Get rid of them, right? You know that, right? I'm, I'm presuming we're all on the same page here. I think that's a pretty safe assumption. They're talented. They're really, really talented. But if they're not a team player and you're all about team, you have to get rid of them. You're, they're actually not adding talent. They're removing talent because they're disrupting the rest of the process. The talent that other people can bring to the team is being upset. Thus, they're bringing negative talent to the game. You have to remove them. Now, that person, again, talented, incredibly talented. Let's, just, let's take it to the, the extreme. They're amazingly talented. They are the Alfred Einstein of whatever it is they're doing. But because they're not a team player and you're building a team, they don't work for you. That person's going to leave a two-star review or a one-star review because they're like, well, I didn't realize it was going to be such a team environment and nobody told me. And they, I was told by the hiring manager that I would have carte blanche to do what I wanted, that I would have clear runway to build my own whatever, and I could just do what I wanted. And that's what I signed on for. And then when I showed up, I didn't get it. Guess what? One and two-star review. That person's talented. That company is good. But based on Glassdoor... It's a failing company because they've got a lot of one- and two-star reviews like that. If your hiring managers, and I think we've all seen this happen, if your hiring managers are saying one thing about what the company is and what the job is because their perception is X, Y, or Z, and it turns out that HR or the rest of the company doesn't fall in line with that, for example, if the hiring manager, hiring manager says, yeah, you should expect stock, stock op, new stock options every 6 to 12 months, and HR is like, no, our program is no more than ever 12 months ever, in fact, don't expect every 12 months. That, whoever gets hired, having been told they should be getting new stock options every 6 to 12 months, only getting them every six, or 12 to 24 months is going to be pissed. And they're going to leave, and they're going to leave a bad review. Was that about the company? No, that was about the hiring manager. They weren't setting expectations appropriately. Now, we assume, rightly or wrongly, that recruiters are doing a good job setting those expectations because they are connected to HR usually, 
and they are connected in, in seeing the broader scope of how the company sees talent. And the hiring manager, who may not may or may not have been trained on how to interview or how to set expectations like this, they can definitely upset that apple cart. Again, that's what leads to hiring people on that don't fit that leads to low reviews. So I think when we talk about quote-unquote loser companies, i.e. the ones with horrible scores, there's nothing wrong with those companies. It's just a matter that they're not doing a great job rejecting or pushing away candidates who won't fit. Now, there's a lot of reasons why that might be the case. It might be that their employer brand is not very strong. It might be that they're not telling a good story about what work here is really like and what we really care about, whether it's technology or status or money or work-life balance or whatever it is. Everybody's kind of reading between the lines, which means they're seeing it for themselves and making it up as they go along. And that's a great way to bring in people who don't fit. Because if the company is all about status and money, and you bring in someone because they think they really get the mission because your, your focus on status and money wasn't very clear, they're not going to be happy when all you do is say, well, you know what we're here for? We're here to work 12-hour days to make a boat ton of money and tell everybody how amazing we are. And the person's like, but what about the mission to fix blah, 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 blah? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We just put that – that's the mission we stick on the wall because somebody in Fast Company said we should. We don't care about that. We're really all about this. Hey, uh, just interrupting myself for just a second just to remind you that because this podcast has made me extraordinarily wealthy, there's really nothing you can do. You don't have to buy anything. You don't have to make any commercials or anything. You do not have to donate anything at all to keep this podcast going. Again, wealthy beyond my wildest dreams. Thank you all. I appreciate it. All you can do to help me make this podcast even better somehow is to review us on iTunes and Google Play and other places that you review and share podcast information. That's all you got to do. Leave some stars, leave a review, whatever you got to do. We really appreciate it. It's what keeps us going. Thanks to the people who've done it already, but keep them coming. We really do, like I said, we really do appreciate that. That's all I had to say. Again, I want to stop interrupting myself to bring you the amazing voices of me. Bye. So you got to set the expectations right. You have to make sure that everybody's in place, that the employer brand sets the expectation. And the weak employer brand, which doesn't take a stand for something, whatever it may be, and people are having to read between the lines and kind of read the tea leaves, as it were, to kind of figure out what that employer brand is before they make a decision, it makes it very easy for you to hire the wrong fit, right? It could be recruiters. If your recruiters are not aligned together, and connected to HR and connected to employer brand, and they're saying all sorts of willing. If they're here, <laughs> let's take this a little deeper. If your recruiters are incentivized to put butts in seats, and to be honest, many companies are incentivized for exactly that. They are, they look at the numbers like time to fill. They look at numbers for number of open recs that aren't being filled, and they're being yelled at when those numbers get too high. Guess what? You are now incentivizing that recruiter to put a butt in a seat. Not how good that butt is, not how good the, the fit is, but about putting the butt in seat, close the rec, move along. Now, when I first started my professional career, such as it was a bajillion years ago, my first job, my very, very first job <clears throat> where I wasn't paid under the table... Uh, was working for IBM back when, uh, and I worked and I worked on the ThinkPad line. I did customer support in the ThinkPad line back when ThinkPads were IBM and not Lenovo. And I was incentivized to the only number they ever cared about was time or call duration. How long was I on the phone? 
If I had a call that took forever to fix, and I had to hang on the phone for half an hour while somebody rebooted and changed the setting and then rebooted and changed the setting, and this was in the days of Windows 9 to 5, um, if you can believe it, it's a long time ago, uh, that, that process took a long time. And if my numbers, my average call duration went above a certain number, I got yelled at. And of course, the uh, unstated expectation was that if I could not bring them down over time, I would eventually get fired, right? That's plenty of people are, in, are, are, are measured that way. And recruiters are often measured that way. Not always clearly, but sometimes it's what is the thing you're yelling at your recruiter for? Time to fill. How many open recs? Guess what? You're incentivizing to fill the button seats. So in the same way when I was at IBM, I was incentivized to tell people to just reboot it and call back if it, that didn't fix it. Now, was I good at my job? Well, according to my metrics that I was measured on, yeah. My call, my call speed was pretty fast. My call duration was pretty fast. I was always online. But all I did was say, I'll fax you the instructions on how to flash your BIOS, which you no one does anymore. And frankly, they no one really didn't do it then. Um, or I would just say reboot it and see what happens and call back if that's a problem. They didn't measure whether that person had to come back seven times to get a fix. They measured whether I kept the call on forever. So the, the geek, and I mean this not, extremely not pejoratively, the geek who actually hung around and listened to the reboot and said, okay, well, that didn't work. Let's try something else and listen to the reboot. And Okay, well, that didn't work. Let's try it again. Oh, that worked. Great. That's fantastic. Who had 10 and 15-minute call times because they waited to follow through. They were great at their jobs, not according to the metrics. So you have to look at how you incentivize these people. So if you look at recruiters, you're in, you may be incentivizing them, intentionally or not, to put the button seats. And when you do that, what you're asking them to do is say, just find the person who will say yes to the salary, show up on the start date, we'll take it off your docket, and you'll move along. We won't look to see whether they were getting good. We won't look to see if they stuck around. We won't look to see you know, whether they fit and frankly, the more volume you put into that, the higher the likelihood of you're bringing people who don't fit, which means the higher likelihood that they're going to quit or be fired and leave you a wonderful one-star review on the way out. And thus, you have a 3.0 company because you've you incentivized your recruiters incorrectly. See how the system works? So hiring managers are complicit, recruiters are complicit, employer brand is complicit. All these things connected can take an amazing company, of which I'm going to presume you are one, or work for one, and give it the worst review in the world, and give it a horrible review, or hor horrible aggregate rating. And for all that Glassdoor wants to do is say, okay, here's what you do to up it. You ask people who love your company to give more reviews, and you ask them for authentic reviews. Obviously, you don't want to game the system too hard, but what they want is for you to create more reviews which of course leads to a higher number of reviews, which thus validates their methodology, which says, look, a lot of people are reviewing them. You have a low score. You have to go fix these things. And that's how they make money. Again, don't begrudge them. I think there's a lot of value in looking at your Glassdoor reviews, mostly because most companies don't do a good job asking their employees, what are we doing wrong, which they should be, and they should be looking at that. What I think the problem with Glassdoor is, is they've created a narrative around that ranking, a rating that says, okay, good company, bad company. Low score, high score, ba bad company, good company, right? There's a correlation that with a 3.0 or a 2.8, you're a bad company. When that's not the case, it means you're not being selective in who you're bringing in. You're not understanding what it takes to fit in. You're not understanding what it means to be a good candidate. And you're not expressing that. You're not selecting for that. And you're ending up with having to clean up the messes. Now, do I believe that lower ratings make it harder to hire people? Yes. 
because I think Glassdoor does such a great job establishing this narrative that low ranking equals bad company that now everybody who comes in looking for a job is like, oh, I found this interesting job. It's an interesting company. I'm going to go look at their Glassdoor review. Ugh, it's a 3.2. Ugh, let me read this. Ugh, they said that. Oh, they said that. Two bad reviews for every good review? Ugh, I don't know. Suddenly I'm thrown off. I believe that narrative completely. I believe that happens every single minute. <laughs> I believe that wholeheartedly. But it's that's a strength of the narrative that Glassdoor has invested in and established and reinforced over and over and over again. I was at Glassdoor's uh, conference in Chicago a couple weeks ago. Everything about that was establishing and reinforcing that narrative. Low rating equals bad company. High rating equals good company. And that's not the case. This is what Glassdoor gets wrong. And this is the problem. We say things like, oh, I'm just a loser company. I'm just a middle-of-the-road company, and I've only got a 3-2 or a 3-3. How am I expected to compete with Google? Well, you're not, nor should you. You really shouldn't because you're not Google and you're not Amazon. You're not Facebook and, and, and Microsoft and all these other companies with crazy scores because they have the resources to be more selective because their names are so big. Google gets 1,000 resumes a day. I'm sorry, more than 1,000 resumes a day. Thousands and thousands of resumes a day. Consequently, if they're always hiring the top 1% of those resumes, doubling the number of resumes means they got a slightly higher quality, which means they can be selective about fit, which means, and, and if you've read Laszlo Block's book about and they're figuring out how many interviews it takes to figure out if that person's likely to be a good fit or not, they are very conscientious about trying to screen out bad fits. Very conscientious. And Facebook's the same way. Amazon's the same way. Amazon has a lot of interviews, a lot of interview layers, especially for anything at a corporate level or for anything, you know, for marketing or construction or development or whatever. You know, frontline staff, it's a different ballgame. But, um, you know, working in a warehouse is one thing, but truly corporate jobs and marketing jobs and uh, HR jobs and legal jobs and development jobs and all that stuff, they are very, very aware of how many interviews it takes to figure out how to filter out that fit. So I think we need to start re-establishing re what this narrative is internally. Because I think if we, if we think of ourselves as a 3.0 company, it's hard to think your way out of this. It's hard to kind of feel like there's any hope on the road, any hope in the, in the future. You're a 3.0 company. You're a, you know, you're a C-plus company at best. And that's being, I think that's being gentle. I think you're more of a C-minus company at that point, at least according to the, the Glassdoor narrative. If you're a 4.5, you're an A company, right? You're a good company. We need to change the narrative. It's about how are you establishing fit? What is the outcome of bringing in poor fitting candidates? And how does that impact the reviews? That's what's going on. I think we have to change the narrative somehow. That's what I think Glassdoor gets wrong. So I think, you know, being the employer brand type person, recruitment marketer type person for your company, and you're saddled with this score, you have to change the narrative because it allows you to say, okay, it's not that we're a bad company. We're doing good things. It's just that we're letting too many bad reviews in because the only people who can leave reviews are people who work here. That's our problem. You need to look at what are the causes of those reviews and how do we filter out bad fitting candidates what is the process are we moving too fast are we incentivizing the recruiters are we incentivizing hiring managers to fill the seats and really have a tough conversation about that because you might say no we don't incentivize on that but then go look at all your um performance reviews of all your recruiters and say what are you dinging them on is it wow it's a long time to fill congratulations this is what you're incentivizing at 
what uh, what they say, what what gets measured is what matters. You can take that a step forward. What you get dinged for is what you're incentivized for. That's what you need to be aware of. And then make sure that employer brand is strong, that it's clear, that it's understandable, so that someone like me, who's pretty darn liberal, I hope you don't mind that, doesn't go, oh, I have never heard of this company called the National Rifle Association. I'd like to learn more. I'm not going to be a good fit. I'm really not going to be a good fit on both sides. They don't want me. I don't want them. We're totally cool with that. That's okay. That's because I know who they are. It's because, you know, and, and if we take that to a non-political realm, if there's a company that's all about, look, really the most important thing is that we only work eight hours a day and we're all about, I don't know, I can't think of anything on top of my head. Coffee's good, but it's not, you know, making my brain genius today. Um, it, if it's not a good fit, it's not a good fit. And if I can't see that coming in, if I have to figure it out on my own because your employer brand is not strong, I might stumble into a company I'm going to be a poor fit in. By the way, it's happened. <laughs> I've been in positions where it's like, well, oh man, think of it. Think of the candidate standpoint. Think of the candidate who's like, you know what? I hate my job. I need to find something new. Candidates are usually in a position, especially when they hate their job or if they're unemployed, to look at the bright side of things. They're looking for the silver lining of those job descriptions of that, what they see. If they see no obvious red flag, and frankly, even if they do see some obvious red flags, they're inclined to look past them to try and find a way to make it work because they're incentivized to get a new job. You have to be clear and say, look, you will not be happy. And we get that because that's happened to me. It's happened to me. I imagine it's happened to a lot of you where you end up in companies and jobs. You're like, this is not what I wanted. And this was not what was told to me. And this was not what explained to me. And had I seen and I did maybe see a red flag or two here or there, but I, I was incentivized to just take the darn job and move forward. And this sucks. This is atrocious. And by the way, here's your really, really bad review. The company's fine. I don't like it, but that doesn't mean somebody else doesn't like it. In fact, I know there are people at that company, the one I have in mind, and no, I will not name names, who loved that company and still do love that company. They think it's the best job they've ever had. And good for them. It's a better fit than it was for me. I'm not good or bad. They're not good or bad. The company's not good or bad. It's about fit, and that's what it's about. And that's really what Glassdoor is measuring. It's measuring how well candidates fit that get hired actually fit with the company. That's the new narrative. All right, so thanks for listening. As per usual, leave a review on iTunes and Google Play. I do appreciate that. Um, I currently have a five-star review on iTunes, and that's amazing. So thank you, and I'm terrified now. Uh, to next week is our 51st, or sorry, 52nd episode, meaning we've done a full year, which is actually more because we had a quick break in December of last year. Um, but there we go. We're starting the new calendar year, so to speak, with new episodes. So if there's anything you'd like me to talk about, if there's any situations you'd like me to do a deep dive on, any problems you'd like me to try and solve in this particular medium, I want to know about it. I really do. Please ping me at, at uh, Twitter at The War for Talent or find a way to ping me on the website or LinkedIn or wherever. Um, I'm not shy about being online. You can find me pretty easily at this, these point, these days. Um, I really do want to know. I, I, I appreciate the handful of people who've sent questions in, in the past. I love doing it. You should do it too. Um, otherwise, I will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening. All of you, I do appreciate it more than you know. Uh, this has been great, and uh, here's to another year. Thanks very much, and I'll see you next week. Bye.